This is Matt Woodley on Monday Morning Preacher, a ministry of Christianity Today and PreachingToday.com. Welcome to our second season. I am here today with Dr. Pat Batten, adjunct professor of preaching at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where she has been since 2007, and she's also the associate director for the Center of Preaching at Gordon-Conwell. And uh, Dr. Batten, Pat, it is great to have you with us today. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm wondering the first time, this is, I like asking all of our preachers this, when was the first time you sensed God's call to preach. How did that happen for you? How did God get your attention to be a preacher? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a childhood dream, that's for sure. Uh, When I was a little girl, I actually wanted to be a Sunday school teacher. But uh, after graduating from college, I did attend Gordon-Conwell. So I went to seminary and I got my MDiv and I was never planning on Uh, preaching. I thought I wanted to work with college students. I thought that would be a good place for me. But I took classes with uh, Scott Gibson and Haddon Robinson, and that uh, really changed some things for me. They were both uh, really encouraging. And everything I'd learned in seminary up to that point really began to make a lot of sense because now I could use it in a practical way. So it was there, but I was still nervous. So even after graduating from Gordon-Conwell, when I applied to churches, I only applied uh, to one uh, solo pastor church. All of the other positions were associate positions, not much preaching involved. Um, but we ended up taking the call to this little church in Kennebunkport, Maine, where I preached every week. Wow. So it was, it was, uh, it really was gradual. And, um, you know, I did, I felt uh, insecure about it. I think for a long time, I don't know if it was probably because I was young, also uh, because I was a woman and I didn't, I had never seen a woman preach ever. So it was new. You know, I don't think I've talked to any preacher who wasn't influenced to get into preaching uh, by another preacher. You know, everyone was influenced by another preacher, somebody that modeled for them uh, not only the craft of preaching, but a life of a preacher. So, and I know you had that with Dr. Gibson and with Dr. Haddon. So we're going to talk a little bit more about Haddon about the, at the end, because you were his, what was your official title working with him? <laughs> gave me one. I was, I was his assistant. <laughs> yeah, for a long time. Yeah, well, for the last five years that he was at Gordon Conwell, yeah. So I want to I want to ask you a question about that, but it says on your bio on Gordon Conwell's website that one of your scholarly interests is preaching with relevance. What does that mean to you? Actually, Haddon would often say that what you preach on Sunday morning needs to matter on Monday morning. Mm. So what we say, they're not just words. It has to matter in the lives of our listeners. You know, when they leave the sanctuary, it's not just a box they check off or we check off, but it's got to make a difference in a person's life. So it's always having um, those people in the pew in front of you and what they're facing in in their lives so that on Monday morning they can, um, you know, it does really make a difference. That is a great goal for every sermon. So you recently preached a sermon on 2 Samuel 24, kind of a crazy story about David taking a census and then getting in big trouble uh, from God. And it's, it's a tough text. Why did you choose that text? 
Great question, Matt. I did not choose that. Okay. It was chosen for you. <laughs> yes, it was chosen for me. And I thought, oh, you've got to be kidding. Yeah. <laughs> did I get this one? Um, yeah, it was really, really tough. And I really struggled with it. And there were definitely verses that I wanted to ignore. Right. And maybe not cross-reference. But I had to. I had to deal with them. And I, you know, even now, I still think, oh, did I, you know, maybe if I preach this two years from now, I may say something a little bit different. Um, so it was tough. I noticed at one point in the sermon, or a couple points in the sermon, you almost paused and you entered into what your hearers were probably thinking, and you articulated that. Like, for instance, at one point, you you said, um, maybe some of you are saying, wait a minute, this wasn't David's fault. Verse 1 says that the Lord incited David, saying, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. How could David fight against that? God made him do it. Um, so you kind of walked into their shoes. This is what you must be thinking at this point. Uh, you did that at a couple points. Uh, is that a normal practice of yours or is it just something more for this text? Yeah, I will try to walk into, you, you know, definitely ask what are the the listeners asking. Um, I think it's important because if they're raising questions and we're not answering those questions, then they're stuck on those questions and they're not tracking with us any longer. So in the text, I do, I do say, okay, what, what, might a listener stumble over right here? Um, what do I really need to address? I don't like to go down rabbit trails, but sometimes you really have to tackle it before they can move on. And I felt that in this text, <laughs> I'm trying to make the argument that David had so many um, off ramps. I mean, he really could have backed down from taking this census and insisting in his sin, but he didn't. He had he had Joab tell him, uh, really plead with him, don't do this. And, you know, Joab didn't have great moral scruples. He didn't listen to him. The census took over nine months to take. David could have backed down then, but he doesn't. Um, so I tried to relate it even to my listeners then. You, you know, do you have people in your life or have you ever really been taking this path of sin and you just, you know, refuse to get off of it. But I, I had to tackle that question because right up front, we are told that the Lord <laughs> incites David. So I just imagine listeners thinking, well, come on, give the guy a break right. and fight against that. <laughs> exactly. Well, it sounds like you paid really close attention to the text. You studied it very carefully. And these questions were probably raised in your mind as you were doing it. So you're probably thinking, there's probably going to raise in my listeners' minds, so I better address these. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I didn't have answers right up front. This was, was not one of those texts where I thought, oh, yeah, I know what that means, and I can explain that. This was, I do not know what this means, uh -huh. <laughs> and this is really confusing. Yes, but you plowed into it. So thanks for doing that. I noticed in the manuscript you sent us, so at the top of the manuscript, you put subject, compliment, exegetical idea, big idea and purpose. And then you filled all that in uh, for this particular sermon. Do you do that every time? And and if so, how does that help you and, and guide you? Is that is that a Haddon thing or is that a Dr. Yeah, Pat Batten yeah, thing? No, it, it's a Haddon. It's a Haddon thing. It's a Gordon Conwell thing. <laughs> um, so we have all of our students do that. So I just started that from the day I graduated and I've never strayed from it. Um, I always start that way. So it keeps the subject, the compliment right in front of me. It keeps the central idea right in front of me. 
and the purpose, because there's a, you know, there's tons that we could say about a passage, but we've got to, um, you know, we've got to have a focus. So it keeps it in front of me and yeah, it helps me. So I just want to read for our people, the purpose, a purpose statement goes like this. As a result of preaching this sermon, my listeners will be able to identify at least one way in their lives in which God revealed his mercy, even in the midst of sin. We'll be able to explain the mercy found in this passage. So I think most people are familiar with the exegetical big idea that comes from the text, um, and then the big idea, which is your preaching idea. What is the purpose of a purpose statement? (laughs) The purpose of a purpose statement. Yeah, good question. Um, We want listeners to be able to do something at the end of a sermon. So something should happen in the lives of a listener. Some change should take place. Now, this is much easier to assess in a classroom because you can give your students tests. You know, you can observe them. You can quiz them. You can ask questions during a lecture. But a sermon is very, very different. Um, So we write these purpose statements. Uh, One reason is it helps us to focus our writing. So it helps us when we preach um, to really write toward a particular purpose. Otherwise, we can really spread ourselves, I mean, really out all over the place. There's so much to say. But the other thing is we really do want something to happen in the lives of listeners. Um, But assessing that is, is a little more challenging. And that's why when you're in a, you know, a pastoral ministry, uh, you know, when you see people week to week, you, you get to know them and maybe through small groups or something like that, you can, you know, follow up and say, Hey, how's this going in your life or that kind of thing. That makes sense. So we, and our preaching team, we talk a lot about encounter preaching and transformational preaching. Like we want people to encounter Jesus through the, through the sermon and be transformed in some way. So that's this purpose statement sounds like that's just getting that really locked in what exactly we're going after the transformation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does make sense. I try to make mine measurable because, you know, I'm a teacher as well, um, but that's not always easy. <laughs> sure. Okay. Well, I noticed your introduction was was pretty short. It was pretty crisp. And then it was one paragraph, maybe about six sentences. And then, um, boom, you're right into the context of the story. So what were you trying to do with the introduction in this sermon? And what what do you, is that basically what you're normally trying to do in an introduction? What's the introduction? Yeah. So the introduction, you're really uh, taking time to introduce if you're moving deductively, your first move inductively or deductively, your big idea, inductively, your first move. Here I was, it was a little bit challenging because I was not part of this sermon series. Mm. Um, So we're in, we're, we're ending Second uh, Samuel here. So they've spent a lot of time on David. This particular sermon series had to do with David. Um, so I'm coming in at the end, and the pastor of this church asked me to review as well. So I felt like it was really a big task ahead of me. Yeah. You know, how to review David and yeah. everything that's come come before. Um, so in the introduction, I really am... Um, trying just to remind people of uh, where David's been and how he's gotten to where he is now. So. Yeah. And then uh, explain the difference between uh, inductive and deductive sermons. I think 
a lot of people will be familiar with that, but some people it's not familiar. So give us just a super brief definition. And then I think most preachers preach deductively. So give us when and why and how you'd want to use an inductive sermon. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so let's start with deductive. A deductive sermon, you are giving your central idea right up front, really in the introduction to your sermon or uh, right after that introduction. So people are very clear. They know what your central idea is. Then for the rest of the sermon, you spend time explaining that, uh, proving it or applying it, mm-hmm. but they know right up front what it is. So you've got to usually raise some sort of an interesting question to keep people listening and, and holding on because you've just, you know, told them what the sermon is about. Sure. I got it. Did, I yeah. can check out now. Sermons, yeah. They're great because they're clear. They are super, super clear. In an inductive sermon, your first move in the sermon is um, not the central idea, but your listeners don't know that. Um, so they may think it's your central idea, but it's not. It's really your uh, your first point, that first move, and you're going to tell them the full central idea at the end of the sermon. Sometimes you'll tell it in the middle of the sermon. We call that semi-inductive. Hmm. But... Uh, you're you're telling it the you're you're giving it to them at the end, and you've got to raise a lot of questions in your transitions when you move from uh, move to move when you make those moves, just to keep people tracking with you because they don't know where you're headed. Yeah. So it could foster some confusion. Yeah. But you see, so you got to work at it. That's really helpful. So I preached after 25 years of preaching. I preached my first flat out total inductive sermon <laughs> ever. <laughs> And it was really fun. Um, it was it was really fun. So I was talking about evangelism, and you know how people are just so uptight about evangelism. So I talked about all the excellent objections for evangelism, but then I said I'm going to give you one reason that rules them all of why you should do evangelism. So and it was based on X nine, but it was it was really fun to do it and. Uh, it was very effective, I think. Uh, so oh. it's and Haddon is the one that inspired me to do it. Uh, yeah, so oh, some stuff he had yeah. said about inductive preaching. So oh, yeah, thanks, good. thanks for that's really helpful. So I also noticed that one of your scholarly interests is narrative preaching. So this mm-hmm. is a narrative text. Um, give us some advice on how to preach on narrative portions of Scripture, especially Old Testament narrative. W- what are you looking for? Anything come to mind? Two or three tips? Yeah, well, students ask this question all the time because these passages are usually really long. I mean, they say, can I split this up? And typically, you don't want to divide a narrative. You're you're dealing with the whole story. Um, so you've you've got to tell the story. Um, you've got to tell the story in a way that um, you know is interesting, but you're in a way that you're not just retelling the story. You've got to retell it or tell it with uh, some insight, um, and that's hard to do. They're uh, they're difficult to outline um, these, these sermons. The other thing that, uh, students will often do, and, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I, you know, I catch myself doing this as well too, but they'll want to, um, give a lot of background information and they'll try to make that, you know, point number one in their outline. And I always say that's, you know, background information is not an idea. You can't not, you can't preach that. You know, why are you giving me this background information? What idea are you trying to convey through this background information? So you always have to think it's not just telling the story. It's telling it with insight and you're still preaching ideas. You've got to remember that. 
Yeah, that's really helpful. I noticed your your application was also pretty brief. Yeah, what were you trying to do in the application? Well, for my application, um, I really wanted uh, people to see this passage as uh, one of mercy, uh, because it is a tough passage. But I, I think when you look at it, you really see God's mercy in it. You see his judgment, too. Absolutely. Sure. Um, but his mercy is in there. So I want people to really think about um, how God has been merciful in their lives, you know, taking sin seriously, but also seeing how God has worked in that and how he might still work in that, how he can make any situation, can change any situation um, to his glory. And, uh, you know, really, I think I said at one point, make uh, a temple out of ashes. So you've been preaching students since 2007, right? So what is the biggest mistake that you see preachers making in application? Or maybe we could put it positively. What is the thing that you really wish they would get about applying the sermon? (laughs) Well, uh, application is, it's tricky work. Um, I think they come into preaching classes, or even as pastors, we come in thinking the toughest uh, really prep that we'll do is the exegesis, right? I mean, and it takes a long time, yes. all that exegetical work. And boom, here comes application. <laughs> and application is uh, pretty challenging. Um, Dr. Robinson used to say that there's more heresy in application uh, than there is uh, in anything else we do in in preaching. Um, and our exegesis, we really can do the work so that we can say, thus saith the Lord. But in application, that's not quite as true uh, because it looks different in everybody's life. And you really have to imagine your listeners and imagine what this might look like in this person's life and what it might look like in this person's life. And it's a little bit different. Uh, When we teach it, we talk about necessary implications um, probable implications, possible implications, and improbable implications. Mm-hmm. So you want to deal in the necess- uh, the absolutely necessary implications, but we're also talking about probable and implications as well. This is what it you know probably looks like in your life. Um, yeah, that, takes, so it, that takes a lot of work. So I have this theory. I think, and I've, I base this on my own preaching and preaching of others. I've heard is that sometimes. I think we try to do way too much in the application. Like we get done with the sermon and we've preached 30 minutes or whatever. And then we launch into another, almost like another separate sermon that's an application. So like sometimes we just don't know how to stop and focus it. (laughs) So like I heard a sermon recently where a guy gave an amazing illustration. It just wrapped everything up and he could have just had maybe two sentences and boom, been done and left us with this powerful image. But he went on for another seven minutes um, with like three more points. Um, so anyway, right. is that, have you seen that in your, the preachers you're teaching? Oh, definitely. And I think there's a tendency to save application for the end. This mm. is how it was a sermon we apply, but what we should really be doing is applying throughout the sermon or at least bringing it back to our listeners Um, getting them involved uh, throughout the sermon. Yeah. That's a really good point. So I can't end this podcast without a question about Haddon. And so you were his, 
assistant for five years. You co-taught some classes with him. You were mentored by him. What is the best piece of advice or coaching that you received from Haddon for you personally? What, you know, just what was the best piece of advice he gave you or feedback? Right. Um, (laughs) I remember the first thing he ever wrote uh, on my uh, sermon evaluation form when he uh, evaluated me, this was when I was a student. So this was probably 1997 or 1998. And uh, I had done a first person narrative. He made us do a first person narrative. So I did that. And uh, on my paper, he never wrote many comments (laughs) for anybody. Uh But he wrote, you have a gift. And, um, you know, that uh, that meant so much to me at that time, uh, coming from him. You know, after that, I studied with him for a doctor of ministry. I went through the program with him, and I really wanted to understand how he nailed down a central idea. So he really helped me to think through through the text in a different way. Um, so that was really helpful. So he helped me in a couple of ways. He he encouraged yeah. me personally. Yeah. You know, like I said, I was a I was a young woman at Gordon Conwell when we didn't have a lot of women in the MDiv. So just a phrase like that from somebody like him meant a lot. Yeah. And then just the way he understood the text, uh, I, I wanted to understand it the way he did. Um, the other thing, I guess the last thing is, um, he really was a loving person. And I think I have written about this. Yes, you did for us. Thank you. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And he said he wanted to be remembered as loving. And when he first said that, I was, you know, I chuckled to myself a little bit because, you know, he was intimidating. Yes. And, you know, he was the best preacher, all of those things. But, uh, you know, loving struck me. But as I really got to know him over the next five years, uh, that was true. And uh, he was uh, really, he really did care about me, what was going on in my life, always asked about my kids, my husband. So I I really learned um, that you're not just teaching uh, these preaching concepts, but um, you're also loving students too. It's really important and loving soon to be preachers and pastors. Yeah, that's great advice. So he could also be brutally honest too, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had some former uh, talks to some former students of his who the things that he said were like really blunt. Oh, I have personal examples of those as well. Okay, give me one of those too. Okay, so yes, yeah, so he wrote some very kind things on my evaluation form, but I remember another time when he said that didn't work. Huh. <laughs> just, I mean, after I had preached, he just said the that whole didn't sermon work. didn't work. Not just part of it, but the whole thing. Right, right. I mean, I think we were just giving an introduction at the time. Yeah. Which was, at least that didn't work, and didn't that work. Was, it was over. Yeah. And but I mean, I've seen him uh, make those comments to, um, yeah, many, many people over the time. He's had asked people to sit down, and sometimes I wondered. You know, those last five years, I was sort of the softer side. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Um, so I counseled those students afterwards. <laughs> Did he tell somebody to sit down in the middle of what they were preaching? Yes. Yeah, I've heard him do that. Like yeah. you can sit down now. You're you're done. Right. But I mean, I have yeah. to tell you that even after um, being through that with him, I um, we worked together. Uh, really well. And I know he absolutely, um, you know, he cared for me and he care. He really did care about 
about preaching. Yeah. Uh, but That's, he did care for students. So I stand behind. He was well, loving. <laughs> he's from New York City. He's from, so he knew how to just be really blunt. Pat, thanks so much for being with us. I've been talking with Dr. Pat Batten from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where she teaches preaching there. And uh, thanks so much for being with us, Pat. 